Hello, I'm Sarah Khan and welcome to Backing Brilliant Business, a series by Radio Centre. They're the people helping businesses of all sizes grow with great radio advertising. In this series, I will talk to guests who want to share their own unique expertise and experience to help you with your business. From marketing experts who have reshaped how we see a brand in the marketplace, to entrepreneurs who've started at the bottom and are now at the top of their field. Each episode, we'll look through our guest CV to discover the most rewarding and most challenging aspects of their career so far. And we discover their three key lessons in business, the learnings, advice and practices that they want to share to help you be better at whatever it is you do. In this episode, we're joined by Toby Milden. Toby is a diversity and inclusion architect and founder of Milden, a consultancy and advisory business. Toby worked with businesses to re-engineer processes and systems to minimise the impact of bias and build a culture of inclusion. Prior to setting up his own business, Toby worked as an in-house diversity and inclusion manager at the BBC in Deloitte and is the author of Inclusive Growth. Today, he joins us to talk about his chosen theme, diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and shares three lessons that will help you with your business. Toby, I am so excited to be talking to you. So I'm going to just basically go through your, I would say, life CV. So just imagine me as a good looking version of Alan Sugar picking through your past. You are a better looking version than Alan Sugar. (laughs) Thank you. You know, you're the only person that said that. Everybody else has laughed it off. And I'm like, what? Um, So that's really kind of you. Thank you. So I just wanted to start, Toby, really with obviously, you know, you have a disability. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that and how it's affected your life and and really how you've become so positive about your condition? Yes, so I was born with a a rare genetic neuromuscular disability, which is called spinal muscular atrophy. There's not many of us in the UK with the condition. I was diagnosed when I was about one year old, which is typical. My parents basically noticed that I couldn't sit up independently and I wasn't able to walk and I could only crawl backwards. So I was diagnosed with the condition The prognosis at the time was that I probably wouldn't live beyond primary school age, but I'm now 40. I have worked with major organisations. I've been to university. I now run my own business. And I suppose how my condition affects me day to day is that I've got muscle weakness all over. So I can't walk. I use an electric wheelchair to get around. I'm dependent on 24-hour care. So that's in a nutshell how it affects me. So when I was really young, I always had this kind of entrepreneurial streak, wanting to get into work. And I noticed my friends were getting jobs, but they were getting jobs in supermarkets, stacking shelves. And I couldn't do that because I can't even lift my arms to feed myself. So I knew that I had to do a job that used my brain and I had to do a job that was probably office-based. And this is when I first noticed I suppose, like the inequalities within society and trying to access employment and the employment gap disabled people face. Unconscious bias is unconscious. So it's really hard for us to spot it in ourselves. We can quite often see it in other people or when we observe situations. The problem with unconscious bias, a lot of people say that they're not biased. They don't want to 
be mislabeled as being racist, ableist, sexist, misogynistic, homophobic, etc. That's not what bias is about. We all have our biases. Our biases come partly from the way that our brains are wired and engineered. Whilst we can create new neural pathways in our brain, it is incredibly hard work to do that. So we just have that system in place. But also it's the product of social conditioning as well. I mean, Harvard have done loads of research into this and you can go online and you can take a test online with Harvard. I found out that I was mildly biased against disabled people which is fascinating given that I was born with my condition. My brother's got the same condition as me and I've went to school and worked with loads of disabled people. It goes to show that that's a product of social conditioning. I've grown up in a world where disabled people are not portrayed very positively on TV and film, for example. We don't see many disabled role models in the world of business and politics and education and such like. So, you know, I grew up in a world and I've just absorbed that bias. It's fascinating. I mean, it really, really is. The whole subject is fascinating. And we asked you about the theme that you'd like to talk about in this podcast. And of course, naturally, you said diversity and inclusion in the workplace. I just want to ask you why this theme. It's obvious why, but... You would think now this word diversity inclusion is battered around every single organisation up and down this country. But from my experience, it seems to still be hitting the mark. People still don't really feel completely included or appreciated or respected for who they are. So why this theme? It's this theme because, well, I I now do this as a full time job. When I was at the BBC, I I, I did manage to switch careers. I moved from tech into diversity inclusion. Initially, I worked within the technology division to get more women into technology because as a department, we were underrepresented by women compared to the rest of the BBC. Realised that I loved doing diversity inclusion, twisted a few arms and turned it into a full-time job. Then I went over to Deloitte because I wanted to understand why one of the big four accountancy firms was so interested in diversity inclusion. And then I I left the city to set up my own consultancy company. So now I work with my own clients who are usually heads of HR to help them put their diversity and inclusion strategies together. With your theme then, we have three lessons that you want to talk about. Lesson number one, you say, is create your diversity inclusion strategy based on data and evidence. Tell me about that. Why is data and evidence so important? So the approach that a lot of organisations take is to develop their plans without data and evidence. And they go about trying to solve the wrong problems. Without data and evidence, you waste a lot of time, money and energy coming up with solutions that won't shift the dial on diversity inclusion further down the line for a head of HR or a chief operating officer or chief executive, that becomes a big frustration. So you need to know what you're dealing with. And then also you need to have data to be able to track progress. As I said, one of the biggest frustrations is, is not shifting the dial. You don't know if you're making an impact or not if you don't have a way of measuring it. That's why data is really important. Diverse businesses outperform homogenous businesses They are more profitable, they can innovate better, they're more creative, you can build more empathy with your customer, 
So therefore you deliver a better service or product to your customer. Where you've got better gender balance at board level, you know, you're you're 30% more profitable than businesses without that gender balance. So there is a real commercial imperative behind this. Whether you are a small startup, scale-up business, or whether a huge multinational organization, employers have a responsibility for society to reduce inequalities. Workplaces are a great way of educating people about inequalities and addressing them. It's a great way of closing employment gaps, improving social mobility, and yeah, it's just the right thing to do. This podcast is brought to you by Radio Centre, who are helping businesses across the UK grow with radio advertising. Head to radiocentre.org forward slash business to discover how radio can boost your company's performance, find out how the radio process works, hear from businesses who found success with audio advertising, access free training and even search for and be linked with stations in your area. You can find out all that and more at radiocentre.org forward slash business. Lesson number two, and this is, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a personal experience from this and I really like your uh, take on it. Lesson number two, engage the senior leadership team on diversity and inclusion and have the chief executive drive this. Now, I know that that lesson will have come from a very personal experience. Yeah, so... What I see a lot happening in organizations is that there's this groundswell of activity. So employees on the shop floor or the front line are running events, organizing or putting employee networks together, that kind of thing. They're completely on board as to why businesses need diversity and inclusion, but they don't feel supported by the senior leadership team who might be saying the right things and kind of just ticking the boxes. But the thing is, senior leaders, they are responsible for shaping the culture of the organization. They need to be walking the talk. It's the responsibility of a senior leadership team to focus on the why. Everyone else in the organization can focus on the what needs to be done and how to do it. So the senior leadership team, from from the top of an organization to the bottom, they, they have a, a really key role in trying to increase the inclusive culture of an organization. It just can't be done if they're not on board. And I talked to loads of organizations, like I might be talking to like the head of HR, who's completely on board with this. And one of their frustrations is that the, you know, the chief executive just doesn't care. And it's just so disheartening because I just know that that HR director has got such an uphill battle until we get the SLT on board. Yeah, I I really relate to this and I really want to share something personal with you because I think this is the right time to do it. But for most of my time in employment, I feel like I've been a tick in a box. You know, somebody's gone out there, they're looking for a gobby, you know, Asian woman and they're like, oh yeah, Sarah can't tick in the box. But once I've got that seat on the table, I felt that actually my needs really weren't met very sympathetically or culturally. Um, and it just left me feeling really upset. I just want to give you an experience here. So one of the reasons that I decided to leave loose women, for example, is because I found that after the Black Lives Matter movement happened, all of a sudden there was an influx of 
black presenters on the front line. We were put on the screen. Look, we've got black presenters, we've got Asian presenters, we're diverse, we're diverse. But if you look at the editor, if you look at the executives and the producers and all the way behind that line, it was very white, middle-class, male and stale. And, you know, and for me, I took that to heart. And when I left, I said, you know, one of the reasons I'm leaving is because I feel like I've fulfilled my potential here, but I want to give my place to a disabled person, a transgender person, a person who has got a completely different story, because I feel like we can learn from them. And actually, they did. They have since, uh, I think, have got a presenter who is in a wheelchair who comes in on a regular basis. But until you make those sounds, it kind of just carries on. But you shouldn't have to shame people into it. And like you say, it's not just about the front line. It's not just about seeing people. It's about the stories that come from the editors. It's about the way people are edited. It's the way that the senior team goes out and seeks stories of diversity, of inclusion. I feel that there's still a lot to be done there. I don't know about you. Yeah, I I can totally relate to what you're saying. And obviously, you know, I worked in the media. It is really disheartening when diversity is treated as this kind of like box ticking exercise. It's like, Oh, tick the box. We've got a disabled TV presenter or a TV presenter who's black or, you know, whatever. But diversity, it has to run through everything. So the team behind the camera, if they are not diverse, they won't be able to make the best TV program because they're all coming from it almost like the same angle. It's like we get this group think. So nobody in there is going to sort of challenge them and go, hang on a minute, you know, maybe there's a better way of telling this story that nobody has ever thought about before, you know, and that that makes for great TV. So we have to have diversity. And from what you were saying as well, also, this is the relationship between diversity and inclusion. You can have a diverse workforce. You can go out and recruit a whole bunch of diverse people. But unless you have this inclusive culture or environment, nobody will be able to thrive. They're just going to leave or become disengaged, which costs organisations millions of pounds. And then your final lesson, lesson number three, is about the importance of human-centred diversity and inclusion interventions. Oh, yeah. Explain. It's one of my favourites. <laughs> it's one of my favourites. In this lesson, I actually pinched quite a lot from when I worked in user experience and design at the BBC. Um, And it was really putting the individual at the heart of the solution. So many organisations come up with diversity and inclusion interventions that try to fix the individual rather than the systemic stuff or the culture that's actually getting in people's way. A classic example is the data telling you that you don't have enough women at the top of the organisation, that you've got a big gender pay gap um, problem. So business leaders jump to conclusions and they go, you know what we need to do? We need to develop this career development program for women, which is designed to boost their confidence, to improve their professional network, give them better negotiating skills and that kind of thing. And it's completely missing the mark. Like I've worked in big organizations and I've sat down with, you know, women and I've said, why are you not at the top of the organization? None of them have said, it's because I'm lacking confidence or because I'm no good at negotiating. 
it's because the organization isn't set up to help me thrive. For example, we've got really bad, flexible or agile working practices. So it's really difficult for me to just jump on a plane to go and meet a client because I've got a family to look after. And, you know, women are still taking the majority of caring responsibilities in the household. So, yeah, that's why we need to take a human centered design approach to this. You know, stop trying to fix people, stop trying to get those people to fit into the existing organizational culture, change the organization instead. Toby, I I tell you, I could talk to you for hours and hours and days and days. And I think what you're saying is so now, it's so relevant. What you're saying is actually the essence of what's going to change our society and become better at respecting and working with each other. I mean, just even now, um, you know, when you hear people in the public eye making blatant comments that are offensive that are sexist that are racist that are misogynistic and they don't even realize they're doing it it's a big big battle you've got to fight how does it get you down do you feel like we're moving forward because also when you start talking about issues like diversity inclusion you always get labeled with the word woke so you, you just I can't win what keeps you so optimistic I think naturally I'm quite optimistic I've got a thick skin Sometimes I wake up in the morning and go, oh, am I really in the right job? There would be something easier. Like I I could come up with some nice e-commerce business and just sell some products online or something like that. But I want to make a difference to the working world. I think going back to my own experiences of youth, you know, I want people to be able to go into the jobs that they love and that they really want to do or that they were born to do. And that helps increase or improve society overall. You know, if we can get people into employment, more money in their pockets, you know, that does help society overall. One of the reasons why I set up my own company to, you know, to consult on this was to actually address one of the United Nations sustainability goals, which is decent work and economic growth. for for everybody and also to reduce inequalities so that's two out of the 17 sustainability goals that the UN have come up with and that's what I that's why I wake up every morning to do. Well you're doing an amazing job so far I feel so honoured and privileged to have you as a guest you came on here today to talk about your theme which was diversity and inclusion in the workplace the three valuable lessons you gave us was first to create your diversity and inclusion strategies based on data and evidence lesson number two was engage the senior leadership team on diversity and inclusion and have the chief executive to drive this and your final lesson was the importance of human-centered diversity and inclusion interventions i think anybody listening today will have found your talk fascinating and hopefully given them lots of valuable take-homes Before you go, this is a Radio Centre podcast, and I have asked all my guests that there are very valuable lessons, but if somebody's, you know, getting on their day and they want to remember your kind of lessons that you've shared, what jingle would you create for your lessons so that people could hum it and remember, remember you and what you've said? And you have to sing it, Toby. Do I have to sing it? Yeah, you do have to sing it. I'm really sorry, but you I, do. I hadn't even rehearsed that. But you can sing it or you can rap it. It's up to you. You I can do whatever was, you like. I thought it was a really good, good 
good question, actually. And when I was coming up with it, I was thinking, oh, maybe this isn't a jingle. But what I what I came up with is that inclusiveness is simply the right thing to do. But if you're not benefiting from diversity, you're holding back your company's full potential. I'm sure we could put a little tune to that, Toby. Come on. Could you do a little rap for us? I'm not very good at rapping. I'll try and... I love the way that you're trying, though. (laughs) I'm trying. Um, (laughs) Inclusiveness is simply the right thing to do. But if you're not benefiting from diversity, you're holding back your company's full potential. I love it. We need to to work on that a bit more, but... (laughs) I think I might have to get Stormzy in just to, just to give us a little bit of a wrap to that. Yeah, Brilliant. if you could drop them a line, see if they can help us out. That would be fantastic. Oh, you're an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Thank you for your valuable lessons. And, and as I said, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Well, that's been the Backing Brilliant Business podcast with me, Syra Khan, and I really hope you've enjoyed the many words of wisdom that came from our chat. There'll be more amazing guests to come in the series with plenty of business lessons to be learned. So please subscribe and leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to follow Radio Centre across all of their socials on Instagram at Radio Centre underscore UK and on Twitter at Radio Centre. The Backing Brilliant Business series was produced by Audio Always for Radio Centre and co-created by Eardrum. Visit radiocentre.org forward slash business for more information.